first, I am thanking God right now that you didn't stay home because you knew I was coming. Um, and I'd like to open up a prayer too, if I can. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. And I pray that you would please um, give me words and give us ears. We thank you for your presence with us today in each other. In Jesus' name. I'm going to um, open up with a quote from Frederick Douglass. Do you guys know who Frederick Douglass is? Okay, that's more nods than you usually see in a crowd, so that's, that's good news. Um, my name is Judah, Judah Ivey. Um, Frederick Douglass was a, an abolitionist um, of slavery, and beyond that, just a really amazing human being. Um, he was born in slavery. He suspected his um, father was also his owner. Uh, taught himself to read by, um, by kind of tricking a local white boy to show him the alphabet. So he, he learned how to read on his own, um, eventually was able to escape, um, became a very vocal um, and leading abolitionist, uh, in the North. Um, he also had a, a really impressive physical appearance, um, really great speaker. Uh, but here's a quote from him um, when he was talking about the evil of slavery and the need for it to be abolished. He said, what am I to argue that it is wrong to make men brutes, to rob them of their liberty, to work them without wages, to keep them ignorant of their relations to their fellow men, to beat them with sticks, to flay their flesh with the lash, to load their limbs with irons, to hunt them with dogs, to sell them at auction, to sunder their families, to knock out their teeth, to burn their flesh, to starve them into obedience and submission to their masters. Must I argue that a system thus marked with blood and stained with pollution is wrong? No, I will not. I have better employment for my time and strength than such arguments would imply. What then remains to be argued? Is it that slavery is not divine? That God did not establish it? That our doctors of divinity are mistaken? There's blasphemy in the thought. That which is inhuman cannot be divine. Who can reason on such a proposition? They that can may, I cannot. The time for such argument is past. At a time like this, scorching irony, not convincing argument is needed. Oh, had I the ability and could I reach the nation's ear, I would today pour out a stream of biting ridicule, blasting reproach, withering sarcasm, and stern rebuke. For it is not light that is needed, but fire. It is not the gentle shower, but thunder. We need the storm, the whirlwind, and the earthquake. That's Frederick Douglass. Um, I sympathize strongly with that. Um, but I think that 
as a Christian and as a believer, as much as that's true, um, we know our own weaknesses and we know how often it takes um, us time and convincing to, uh, to be convinced of things that we really have no right to need to be convinced of. Um, so, knowing that, knowing my own sin, I'm not going to take Frederick Douglass's tack. Instead, I'm going to read um, a chunk of Psalm 1. A friend was teaching at church last Sunday, and he was reading through this, and he just happened to mention it, but it was something I'd never thought of before. When reading this psalm, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So it sets forth uh, um, the opportunity and reality of a blessing that accompanies not this way, but this way. And normally, when I've read this before, you think, okay, the wicked, the sinners, the scoffers, those are like mean, nasty people. Those are um, drunks or fornicators or people who beat up other people on the street. So just don't do those things. Um, but instead, go read your Bible. But I don't even think that that's what the psalmist is speaking about. I mean, even if you just look at the way that it's worded, he walks not in the counsel of the wicked. So um, his, his action doesn't follow the, um, the wisdom of people who don't meditate in the law of the Lord. Um, his stance, his public um, affiliation isn't in the way of sinners. Now, that's just not like um, somebody who's, who's grossly and obviously immoral, whom the world at general believes is, is morally reprehensible. Um, a sinner is, is one who doesn't obey the will of God um, and sits in the seat of scoffers, um, a general disposition, a seat um, of people who say, oh, well, that, that stuff isn't true. It's not, it's not relevant. It has no real bearing on, on what we do today. And um, I think this has been a long journey for me. I think our, our thinking is very clouded as people that um, have come to believe and have come to know Jesus Christ um, and his Father. Oftentimes our thinking um, doesn't, doesn't find its basis in here. Um, and that was why I was so glad to have the speakers go before me because I thought, oh, I almost have nothing left to say, really. Um, because once you say that God made man in his own image, male and female, he created them. There's, there's hardly anything left to say about abortion. Um, and I go back to thinking about my Frederick Douglass quote. Um, the world's confused. Uh, the counsel of the wicked, the seed of the scoffers, the way of the scornful, they're confused and, and always have been about what, what is a human being. Um, 
they're, they're confused about where we came from, what our origin is, what our destiny is. Um, you can see it, you can see it throughout history, like hearing about um, both sex trafficking, um, slavery, and abortion. Um, think about the world that the, that the people of Israel were in. And then think about the world that the early Christians went out into. These are not new things. These were all very large and um, taken for granted institutions, slavery, abortion, infanticide, um, which I don't really separate, and, and sex trafficking. Um, in fact, in the um, Mediterranean area, Roman Empire, and kind of worldwide, um, child abandonment was, uh, was the primary source for victims of trafficking, male and female. Um, so the children that weren't eaten by dogs, the great majority, ended up in brothels. Um, so I was thinking about Psalm 1 and thinking about what it means to be human, what makes us human, who makes us human. Um, and we know that God has made us human, and, and that is, it's a special thing. Um, the image of God, it's, it's hard to comprehend exactly what that means. You think, okay, well, what is the image of God? Well, we know it's one thing. We know it's to be human. Um, and looking through the ages, looking at all the great atrocities of the past, I remember as a kid, um, my mom had us watch Roots when we were little, um, and thinking, how could that happen? How could, that, how could they do that to the Reading Rainbow Man? Um, and, and you'd get so angry. You'd think, if I was there, if I was there, I would have said something. I would have done something. Um, and then my mom would read us um, stories from, from the Shoah, from the Third Reich. Um, Corey Ten Boom, bits of the Nuremberg Trials. Um, stories of survivors, stories of not survivors. When I was older, I read Knight. And you always think, oh, well, if I was there, I would have done something, I would have said something. Um, even, if, even if I ended up getting killed for it, I would have done something. And then, and then whenever I would think that, I would always think, well, I know this is happening. Um, ever since I was a little kid, I knew about abortion. Uh, my first five conscious years, I, I grew up in a um, little trailer park in Arizona. Um, we, were a, we were a happy family. My mom and dad loved each other. Um, my dad was going to school. We were like in, in pretty extreme poverty, but I didn't notice it. We had enough food to live, so we didn't go hungry. Beans and tortillas were good. Um, but I remember coming across a piece of paper with a, a picture of an abortion victim, a child on it. Um, it was back in the, the early mid-'80s. Um, so I think there was a lot of generalized Christian action against abortion at that time. And 
Um, my, mother, my mother was really open with me about almost everything. And she told me um, what it was and that it happened. And, and you know, I remember I have, I have very distinct memories different times in my youth when I, I kind of just felt the brokenness and messed upness of this world and thought, I don't, I don't even want to be here. Um, there's something, there's something awful um, just about being here, and that was one. Um, so as I grew older, and especially once I became a Christian, I, I, this would always come back, and I think, okay, um, I say I would have done something. And I'd, I would talk to people if the, the topic came up. Um, but it was always very confused, and I just didn't know what to do, and part of me was always very afraid. And I had this impression, you know, that the church was doing something. The church was doing a lot, because, like, there's this, there's this public, um, there is, there's like a public impression that the church is, is doing a whole lot, and, like, the abortion's a big issue in the church. People, people are really concerned for the unborn in church, so much so that we need to not focus on that so much anymore. Um, and it was during that time, um, our, our church, like some books by Bonhoeffer were going through our church, you know, sometimes churches will, everybody will pass around books. And we're reading that, and I was just getting really convicted about it. Um, and we were newly married, my wife and I, and we were talking about it and thinking, what can we do? And it kind of ended up getting put on the back burner. Um, coming out to... Seattle, we um, had already had our three children. Um, our next child was miscarried very, very early. And, um, and we started thinking about it because when we were at the hospital, they did a, um, a dilation and extraction. Um, and they talked about products of conception, they said, oh, well, it's just like a cell at that stage. I mean, they're trying to comfort us, right, because we're in grief. We were thinking about our child. Um, and part of us kind of wanted to think about it that way. We went home, and my wife was just asking me, you know, um, what, does that, what does that mean? Because I was in school. I was taking my biology classes. And I said, well, um, you know, that's not, that's not really true. And we almost didn't want to believe it at that point. You don't want to believe it. You don't want to think you had a child and now this child is dead. Um, but feel free to go through the scriptures and, and look at how many times God speaks of conceived and bore. Talking about the gospel as it relates to social justice, the gospel as it relates to, um, to our neighbor. And are the pre-born children, the ones that are still in their mother's wombs, our neighbor? Again, I kind of want to point to Frederick Douglass, but I think we really do. We have to meditate on the scriptures, um, just like the initial abolitionists of slavery, the white ones at least, um, had to meditate on the words of scripture and realize, you know, um, there's something in me that's wrong. They would recognize, oh, okay, God created from one man all nations of men, um, and that to be human is to be the image of God, but a lot of the abolitionists, they recognize that, okay, I can see this is sin. I, I know it's sin. But I don't feel like it's sin. 
and I don't feel that sense of kinship towards, um, towards the slaves that I know I ought to. So they tried to, they, they actually consciously um, tried to repent by uh, going into black communities, inviting um, black people to come and eat with them and, and mingling intentionally to, to make sure that they could overcome that, that messed up thing that they recognized inside themselves from meditating in the scriptures, but they knew that their passions didn't, um, didn't match that or meet it like they ought to. Um, so this has been a huge thing for me. I am in a constant, um, constant state of repentance, and honestly, that's basically what I'm going to ask you guys to do in response, is to repent with me. Um, because <laughs> the world, the world is, is never going to, um, to help you in this regard. And to think and to know that um, from conception to death, a human being is a human being is oddly enough, crazily enough in this world, um, this broken, fallen world, something that you have to really continually um, teach yourself and remind yourself and then to think. Um, what then is my responsibility? We were thinking about it, and, and I think sometimes, sometimes, um, oftentimes even, fear can be a good initial motivator. It can wake you up. Um, I remember reading Matthew 25, and Jesus' response is he takes the nations and separates the sheep from the goats. And, and I'm assuming most of you guys are Christians. You know how that that ends, he says, as, as, as much as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. As much as you did not do it to the least of these, my brothers, you did not do it unto me. Depart from me, you wicked, into eternal fire, or enter into the joy of your Lord. I remember seeing that, and I remember seeing, um, seeing Jesus telling the man who asked him, okay, well, what... Um, what's the greatest commandment of the law? Well, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, perpetual question, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells him the story of the Good Samaritan. Um, when two religious people see and walk by, and there's something in them that allows them to walk by, um, this other man, nothing to do with the, the Jewish nation, um, stops and takes care of the man, and Jesus asks him, okay, well, which of these men was his neighbor? And he says, well, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, go and do the same. That's the second great commandment. Um, Jesus said to do it. So I think any, any objection, um, I'm not even, honestly, I'm not, I'm not going to bother trying to argue um, that Human beings are human beings from conception. It's in our textbooks. It's basic bio. Um, so I'm not even going to bother to argue that. Most bio books will say, oh, well, you know, it's the beginning of a new individual, but philosophically, whether or not it's a human being, I'm like, okay, I've heard this before um, too many times, too many centuries. So 
some little little tidbits. Does anybody have any idea how many children are aborted? About 3,000 a day. Um, somewhere around, give or take, a million a year on average in the U.S. And that's the ones that are tracked nationally, um, the ones that are reported. And those stats are from um, Guttmacher Institute's Planned Parenthood's research arm. I'll read you a couple other little tidbits from this. Um, but first, the, the church. Like we've mentioned, okay, the gospel and social justice. Um, and we know, we know that with abolition, the, the, the foundation for the work of abolition um, in the antebellum era was scriptural. Um, if you go back, read Garrison. If you go back, read Frederick Douglass. If you go back and read those guys, um, they quote scripture all the time. They, they reference the incarnation. They reference creation. Um, they reference redemption. Um, and that's why they did what they did. But um, the scary thing is that a lot of their major detractors were also churches, orthodox, big churches. Um, and most of those churches weren't even like the bad southern churches that wanted to um, perpetuate the institution of slavery, but um, the, the ones that wanted to be moderate about it, like gradualists, um, they said, no, 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 let's have none of this divisive talk about immediate and total abolition. Um, that's just going to cause problems. It'll keep our pastors from getting... Um, getting placements, it'll make people angry, the churches will lose funding. Um, so we need to, to come to a more equitable solution, um, maybe long-term. A lot of the earliest um, sort of ways for people to, to deal with their guilt if they realized that it was sin, um, they started uh, anti-slavery groups that main, main goal was to eventually um, get people, get slave owners to manumit the slaves, free them, um, and then ship them back to Africa so they could take care of this problem um, of these people who just didn't fit in. And the abolitionists rose up and thought, no, that's not, that's not a solution. Um, that's, that's based on the same premises as, as the problem. It's based on this, this racist idea. These people don't belong here. Um, it's distasteful. It's, it doesn't... Um, feel good to us, but you're not addressing it as what it is. It's um, sin, it's man-stealing, it's murder. Um, and so that's what the abolitionists called it. They called it sin. And what they called for was repentance. Um, and the great majority of the churches um, in the north didn't want to touch it, didn't want to talk about it as sin, didn't want to call for repentance um, and not to mention the South. Um, and it wasn't until the ab abolitionists made themselves a nuisance, and honestly, most of them got kicked out of churches and had to form their own fellowships and associations, um, that eventually, through making enough noise, um, the, the tenor of the country was, was charged enough to keep it as an issue and to keep immediate abolition um, as a possibility to where Lincoln, who initially would say things in public like, I have no intention of abolishing slavery or doing anything like that, um, to credit the abolitionists for the Emancipation Proclamation. Um, 
So I guess where I'm going with that is this next statistic. 17% of abortion patients in 2014 identified as mainline Protestant. 13% as evangelical Protestant and 24% as Catholic. 38% reported no religious affiliation. Um, and the remaining 8% reported some other affiliation. So that's a total of 54%. I mean, they may not be like the Christians you think of as Christians, but they're people who say, okay, I believe in Jesus Christ in some shape or form. Um, and they're the patients. Uh, I was going to read some of those others. This is a really um, telling sheet from Guttmacher. Lots of um, interesting and frightening information on there. It's, it's Planned Parenthood's research arm, so they're not ashamed to tell you this. And it can't possibly be skewed as something that I made up. Um, then from Genocide Watch... Uh, ten stages of genocide. First one is classification. Talking about the Rwandan genocide, it says the Catholic Church could have played um, this role, uh, a unitive role um, between us and them in Rwanda had it not been riven by the same ethnic cleavages in Rwanda society. Symbolization and classification and symbolization are universally human and do not necessarily result in genocide unless they lead to dehumanization. Um, leading to the next discrimination, a uh, dominant group uses law, custom, political power to deny the rights of another group. The powerless group may not be accorded full civil rights or even citizenship. Dehumanization. One group denies the humanity of the other group. Members of it are equated with animals, vermin, insects, or diseases. Dehumanization overcomes the normal human revulsion against murder. Preparation. They often use euphemisms to cloak their intentions, such as referring to their goals as ethnic cleansing, purification, counterterrorism. They build armies, buy weapons, and train their troops and militias. They indoctrinate the populace with fear of the victim group. Leaders often claim that if we don't kill them, they will kill us. Extermination. Extermination begins, stage nine, and quickly becomes the mass killing legally called genocide. It is extermination to the killers because they do not believe their victims to be fully human. Ten. Denial. Denial is the final stage that lasts throughout and always follows a genocide. It is among the surest indicators of further genocidal massacres. The perpetrators of genocide dig up mass graves, burn the bodies, try and cover up the evidence, and intimidate the witnesses. Um, do you guys know enough to draw some parallels there? What do we call it? We call it abortion. What does that even mean? Like, just dictionary definition, abortion just means, oh, like, abort, abort. You stop something. Um, I'm a nurse. I work in an emergency room. Uh, and um, during nursing school, if you were working OB, it's like, okay, you have two patients. You have the, um, the in utero child and you have the mother. But then when it comes to abortion, okay, you have a patient. You have one patient. What happened to the other patient? Products of conception. A pregnancy. Euphemism, dehumanization that overcomes the normal human revulsion towards murder. And it's really, really like unpopular in churches um, to call it murder. But if you think, okay, 
a human being. Um, God sees them as a human being. Think about Jesus' incarnation. Did Jesus arrive as like a fully grown 30-year-old man? Um, when the angel appeared to his mother, Mary, um, and spoke to her, he said, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. And Mary um, goes to Elizabeth, and Mary is just newly um, conceiving Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Um, and she meets Elizabeth, and what does John do inside his mom's uterus? He like jumps, and then both moms share prophecies, awesome psalms that are full of social justice sort of themes, and when you think about what the gospel is, read what Mary says. Um, read what Zechariah or, or Elizabeth say. Um, and think about, huh, salvation includes that stuff. But that's Jesus. Your Lord was once um, just like those million human beings who through delation and extraction, curatage, whatever method, chemical, um, end up in a biohazard waste bucket and are sent off to be incinerated. Um, back in the 80s, some people in, um, as part of the, the rescue movement would go and find the bodies of children who were aborted um, in trash bins outside of abortion centers. And after that, they set it up so that, okay, everything's like really um, cordoned off, so it goes straight to stereocycle and they are incinerated. Does that sound familiar? Millions of human bodies being incinerated as, as waste. Um, but I don't want to kind of, I don't like the, the shackles, um, those, those pictures. I don't want too much to like paint a gory picture for you because I want us to think about things the way God thinks about things. Think about it. Your maker, the, the Lord before whom we will all one day stand and give account of ourselves, um, he sees you, right? He sees you. There is not a moment um, of your life from conception to death and beyond where he does not see you. He does not know you. He is not in relation to you. Extend that to these people, these human beings, and think, okay, they don't... They don't look, especially early on, they don't look like what I think of as human, which sounds shockingly similar to what a lot of people said in the 17 and 1800s. Um, and just like them, I think we really need to reformulate in our minds according to the word of God, okay, what does a human look like? A human looks like a human. Um, so human um, in the womb, no matter what they look like to me, to God, they're his image, just like I'm his image. They're important, just like I'm important. If someone, um, my mother or anybody else, were to take me off to get me killed, um, would I want to be seen as human? I know one person would see me as human. I know one person before whom, again, we will all give account um, on the final day sees me as human and he sees them as human and that's that's an area in which I constantly and continually need to 
repent. And by repent, I just don't mean like feel bad. I mean um, change how I think to meditate in the law of the Lord and think, okay, I'm not thinking rightly about this. I need to change the way I think and change the way I act. Um, So what do you do? Um, At least on paper, at least on paper in a lot of ways, um, in most public ways, the Emancipation Proclamation has been signed. most uh, obvious forms of racism, thank God, have uh, laws against them. Maybe not very well enforced or anything like that. But there's a general public opinion that, okay, this is bad stuff. Um, same thing with sex trafficking. Like, you won't find people saying, um, shout your sex trafficking in college campuses or, or shout your racism maybe somewhere, but generally, I mean, the, the, the general tenor of the culture is um, that that's bad, and that's, that's good. I am grateful um, that we have those things, and, and it's never done, right? I mean, you can have laws against something, um, but that doesn't mean that underground is not going to continue, um, and that there's not still a need uh, to, to rectify it for Christians to go and meet um, their neighbor and see what they can do, how they can help. Um, I grew up with with weird ideas um, about women, like romanticized ideas about women that, okay, women aren't violent like men. They're not mean. They don't do mean things. They're not capable of the sorts of um, acts of violence that men are. And granted, men are responsible for like a lot of the violence out there. But then as I grew older, um, my sister called me on it and I started thinking about it and I started reading my, my Bible and saying, okay, well, women are human beings. <laughs> they're, they're um, with all the glory and all the shame that that comes with. Um, and I thought about times in my own life, um, all the situations where you run up against something and you think, okay, um, I know that this is wrong, but I'm, I'm desperate right now. Um, and, and if I know that nobody will know, or if I know that, um, that I can just get over it quickly, not have to think about it, and then um, I see something that I have to gain on the other end that I really, 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 really want, um, I saw in my own heart that, oh, man, I've done that in many ways. Um, I thought about just before I was really transformed, became a Christian, um, I met an, uh, a gal who was a little older than me and ended up having a, a one-night stand, me as a professing Christian, right? Um, and, and I knew my biology. Um, even if we used protection, um, afterwards I was sitting in and thinking, um, and I called her up and repented, and she thought that was weird, and we never talked again. Um, but the entire time I was thinking, what, what's the matter with me? Like, I know what could have happened, what may have happened. Um, that's no guarantee. In fact, again, on the, um, the Guttmacher thing, 51% of abortion 
patients, again, and if we are thinking about this, as if they are really human, um, abortion patients means um, mothers who are paying someone to assassinate their child um, were using a contraceptive method in the month they became pregnant, most commonly condoms, or hormonal birth control. Um, so I knew, knowing what I did of the girl um, whom I committed fornication with, I thought I could have just been complicit in setting up my own child to be killed. I did that. I knew. Um, so I don't, it's not a us versus them thing. I think about myself with this. And to this day, I don't know. Um, I know what was possible. And I know how willing I was to get what I wanted um, to just make myself not think about it. So there's a lot of, a lot of repentance involved in this. But I don't want to speak to anybody else in a way that I... Um, don't speak to myself in a way that, that God doesn't speak to me. I mean, God, and God doesn't, doesn't pull his punches very often. Um, so, long story short, um, I thought, okay, well, I've got to do something. Um, I know what happened then, and I know what's happening now. Um, I did a little bit of research. I found some of these numbers, and um, I thought, okay, well, what is the church doing? I want to be involved through the church. And okay, well, like 40 days for life. That's a huge thing that the church does, right? So I went out, I signed up, um, and my wife and I were talking. And I thought, okay, well, um, what do you think you want to do? And she, she signed up to um, start working at a crisis pregnancy center. Um, and... So I go out to the 40 Days for Life, right? And I'm expecting to see, like, huge crowds of Christians um, sharing the gospel with people, trying to talk to the mothers as they go into the abortion clinic. Um, and I'm in, I'm in the rain kind of looking around on an empty block outside the Lee Minto Center. And the two Planned Parenthoods, I think one of them is new. Both are within a mile of this building. Um, and I saw one woman standing out in an umbrella in the rain, I kind of went over there and said, are you, do you know anything about the four days for life thing? She said, oh yeah, are you my relief? Said, okay. I guess this is what the church is doing about abortion. Um, and so I stood there out in the rain and um, tried to talk to people and prayed and prayed. And it, it, it's an eerie experience standing outside of that building and knowing what goes on inside. Um, and not really knowing what to do. Because, I mean, institutionally it's set up to make it so that you can't really do much. Um, you can kind of, sort of, for about 15 seconds, talk to people as they're going through the building. And you're trying to think, okay, what could I possibly say to them? Um, and honestly, at that point, I almost at this point think that it's um, not terribly fruitful to go there. I still go there just because I think, okay, um, this is a person who is about to become guilty of the sin of of murder, and I don't know what kind of coercion got them there. Oftentimes, I don't think it does. I think the more that you talk to people um, at an abortion clinic, you see that some people are coerced. Some people feel like they have no way out. A lot of people um, feel like, hey, this is my right. The dehumanization is complete. Um, so you don't know what you're dealing with, but um, 
with the compassion that's been shown to you with an offer of redemption, forgiveness, grace, and also some kind of warning to let them know, look, you don't want to, um, to become this. The child within you is real. Um, and knowing that most likely you're going to fail. So I still go there from time to time. Um, the early abolitionists, a lot of people said, oh, what you're doing is not effective. It's just going to make people mad. Um, what you really need to do is you just got to like be buddies with the slave owners and slowly try and through friendships convince them to free their slaves. Um, but what the abolitionists did do is they covered the land in tracts and literature. Um, they would publicly go out to the street corners and call people to repent. They would start newsletters and all kinds of different things. And they would cause a stink and it took a while. Um, but they did end up kind of changing the tenor of everything. Um, so... <clears throat> I think with any of these things, um, with, with sex trafficking, with race, um, with this, people want to see results like tomorrow. <laughs> they want to see something happen today. Like, oh, I want to go out to an abortion clinic and like, be the hero, basically, right? You're going to go there and you're going to, oh, well, um, I'm going to say, hey, God loves you and, and, and he, he loves your baby. And then they'll turn over and say, oh, really? I didn't know that. And like, all right, come and let's, ha let's go to McDonald's and talk together and... Um, and then they're going to, like, name the baby after you and stuff. And then um, you'll get to go home and say, oh, saved five people today. That, I, that would be great. <laughs> I'm not saying that wouldn't be great. Um, but I think that that's, that's a, um, a response that's really ignorant about what God says about um, the, the fallenness of, of human nature and the fact that we, we are facing um, not enemies of flesh and blood, principalities and powers um, in high places, but we have um, weapons, not to fight against other human beings, other image bearers of God, um, but against the, the things that have taken their minds captive to do their will. How much time do I have left? I'm sorry, I forgot to even look. 10, 15 minutes? Okay, thanks, Justin. Um, so there's lots of taboos. Okay, well, you can't say murder. And I understand. Like, I understand women have been oppressed in lots of ways. Um, but women are also human beings, moral agents, um, the image of God. And as well, um, the child is about to die is a child who's about to die. They're a human being too. Um, so in one sense, okay, yeah, the woman is a victim. She's a victim of, um, <clears throat> of Satan, um, of the world spirit, of every voice that's, that's told her, okay, there's, there's no other way. This is the best thing for you. This is your right. Um, this is not a child. Okay, yeah, she's a victim of all those things. Um, but she'll walk out of there alive. This child isn't going anywhere but a biohazard waste bucket um, when she walks out. So of those two, yeah, one's the victim, um, but one is a victim who will be dead by the time she walks out. Um, so I don't think it's, it's bad to identify victims. Um, slave owners in the antebellum era or um, even the the kind of placating, placatory people in the North, um, we, 
we could say in a sense they were victims as well. They were victims of, oh, well, their parents, they taught them this stuff that, that made them think that it was okay um, to own these people. And there were, like a lot of them did feel guilt um, over what they did. So oftentimes, oh, well, like I'll free, we'll free these slaves when I die. Um, or maybe I'll write something and say they can be free in 30 years. They can serve as slaves for 30 years. And they would kind of assuage their guilt that way. Or else they'd send money overseas to, um, to missions try and assage their guilt in some weird way. So we could say they were victims, but who, who was suffering all the injustices that Frederick Douglass was talking about? Um, it wasn't the slave owners. Uh, it wasn't the, the folks in the North. So um, who are the primary victims in abortion? They really are the children. And again, it feels weird to have to say that, but I kind of do because um, we see the mothers. They're recognizably human to us, thank God. Um, we recognize um, us when we see them. Their child, well, you can't even see them. Um, and if everything goes well, you never will. There'll be some smoke rising up out of a chimney somewhere. So I have to think to myself, okay, um, they really are human. And does it, does it um, suffice? Does it match their, their dignity, their reality as a human being that God sees, that exists? Not a potential human being. They don't live in some kind of Schrodinger's cat box where like maybe they're real, maybe they're not. Maybe they're here, maybe they're not. Um, when I stand out there and, and try and talk to people, they'll say, oh, why don't you care about the children that are actually here? I'm like, if they weren't here already, there'd be no need to kill them and put them in a bucket. Um, but that's how people think, right? Like, out of sight, out of mind. Um, every objection that I've ever heard to, to abolition, like the immediate um, and total abolition of the killing of yet-to-be-born children who exist and are alive, um, every objection to the immediate and total abolition um, of the practice of killing them um, can be answered and made ridiculous by just recognizing them as human beings, thinking about them as human beings. And it's really a hard thing to do, um, but it's something that we, we have to do. You have to do. Because does God think of them as human beings? Then they are human beings. No matter what the world thinks about them as or what I think about them as, because that's not what determines reality. The creator of all things determines reality. Um, and they will be resurrected on the last day. Um, God will hold us accountable for what we did or did not do um, on their behalf. Which is a scary thought. I wake up and think, can this be real? Um, and I know that nothing I do could be adequate. But I think, um, so I want to kind of, kind of wake us up to the reality that um, they're here. They are real. They are human beings to God and they are human beings to you. Um, and it is something um, different than, uh, than most other social justice issues because it is institutional, it's protected by law, it's, um, it's entrenched in our society, it, there are buildings dedicated to it, 
Um, and it's illegal to do much to, to stop it or stand in its way. Um, it is not something that's cool. It's not something that's hip. Um, if I went to my Christian college, um, even the most uh, kind of retiring and, and mild pro-lifers, we tried to, they tried to set up like a um, diaper changing station inside one of the restrooms and, and one of the girls in the dorms wanted to um, have a talk on abortion. She talked to her um, Christian dorm leader about it. He said, oh, we're not going to push your agenda here. I know what you're all about. Um, Christian school. So I don't, I don't even bother trying to, um, to please or placate people. I want to be gracious to people when I'm talking about this because I want to do unto others as I would be done unto, right? Um, but I think it's, it's a mistake to apologize. You'll notice I haven't apologized for being a man. I think that's kind of irrelevant. If you know that people are being killed um, en masse and it's legal and everybody's okay with it, it, it doesn't matter what kind of human being you are as long as you're one that, like the proverb says, can speak out for those who have no voice, who are destitute. Um, and that's not, that's not like if you want to. That, it, it doesn't end with that. Um, some words from Job. Job's talking about his life before God, and you remember what God says to Satan at the beginning of the book of Job. In chapter 29, I'll just start at 13. You could read the whole chapter and the ones following it, but the blessing of him who was about to perish came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy, and I searched out the cause of him whom I did not know. I broke the fangs of the unrighteous and made him drop his prey from his teeth. Um, who is more unknown than the preborn? Um, who is harder um, to overcome that deep dehumanization towards than them? But Job says he searched out the cause of him whom he did not know. When Job's talking about his justice towards his manservant or maidservant in 31, 13, he says, if I rejected the cause of my manservant or my maidservant, when they brought a complaint against me, what then shall I do when God rises up? When he makes inquiry, what shall I answer him? Did not he who made me in the womb make him? And did not one fashion us in the womb? So Proverbs 31, 8 and 9, it's a pretty common one. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Um, so I think we do kind of want to think about this as, okay, well, maybe that's this guy's issue, right? Maybe he, he's called to that. Um, he feels like he has a special conviction for this thing. So that's good. He can do that. And um, I'll, do, I'll do some other kind of totally unrelated thing. And I think, of course, social justice involves all human beings and all, all um, injustices, anything that attacks the dignity of a human being made in the image of God. Um, Christians need to meet that. 
But I think we really are in a situation, and again, it's something that you have to train your mind to, to kind of take in, because it's, it's, I don't think anybody within these situations realizes fully the, the kind of situation that they're in. I don't think the people in the, um, in the Third Reich really recognize what was um, the significance of what was going on. The Christians, the churches there. Um, if you read about Bonhoeff, you read about the like, reticence of the churches to really respond appropriately to what was going on. Um, if you read about the churches in, um, in the South and the North um, during the era of slavery, and you see um, the, the poverty of their response, I really don't think they recognize the magnitude of what was going on and their requirement before God. Um, during the civil rights era, even, even now. Um, so in all areas, that's, that's true. But there are certain times, um, certain emergencies, where I think we all need to do something. If you can look back, if you can look back at the Shoah, at the Holocaust, and think, I would have done something. If you can look back at antebellum, the slavery era, and think, I would have done something, I would have said something. I would have stood up on their behalf. Um, then that's all hypocrisy. If we, if we don't, to a man, to a woman, at least to the, our ability, um, say something now. The Dred Scott decision that said that a black man um, is not a person, was never intended by the Constitution to be included as a human being. Um, well, Roe versus Wade, the government has no interest in protecting the life of anybody um, <clears throat> until the third trimester and then it's iffy. The government doesn't recognize them as, as legally persons, but the governor does, the governor of all things. And he's the one before whom we all stand. Every morning we wake up, every night we go to sleep, from our birth to our death. Um, so there's always the charge, oh, well, that's not holistic, we need to be holistic, and, and there's all these um, <clears throat> accusations that are constantly barraging me about how, okay, well, um, what about this? What about this other thing? Um, how do you deal with these issues? And every time somebody brings that up, it always kind of occurs to me, kind of like what you were saying, like, all right, I almost feel like I can't talk to you right now, because you would never say this about somebody you really thought was human. If you really thought they were human, if you really thought this was happening, you would never ask that question. Um, <clears throat> so if we can just examine ourselves. I mean, I know this is, this is heavy. And again, I thought there was going to be like three people here <laughs> when Justin invited me to come. I was like, oh, man, thanks, Justin, but I'm probably going to ruin your event. <clears throat> so I'm really glad you bothered to come because nobody wants to hear this stuff better part of me doesn't want to hear this stuff. Um, but Christ also lives within you. So, well, basically, I just want you to, to repent with me. Um, if you thought, if you knew, as you do, that those are human beings less than a mile from here, um, being killed, 3,000 in the country every day, what would you do? Sometimes I don't know what to do. But I do. I go out to street corners downtown. I'll hold a sign. It makes me look crazy. Um, but I hold a sign, and I talk to people. And you kind of have to bring the gospel into it, because people don't know what a human being is. They don't know what 
forgiveness is. They don't know what redemption is. They don't know um, right from wrong half the time. Um, try and strike up conversations with every man in the street. Try and make us think. Try and make it so people don't forget these human beings um, who in this world only God will ever see unless we do something about it. And we are his hands and his feet. So God um, is the protector of the fatherless. Um, but you are his hands and feet. I think that's pretty much all I have to say.